Hi guys, welcome to the FinTech Coffee Break. I'm your host, Isabel Castro. A few weeks ago, I sat down in London with Matt Bullivant, Oak North's Director of ESG Strategy. In the race to meet net zero targets, greenwashing has been cited as the ultimate enemy, and a lack of transparency in ESGs has been fueling the flames of scepticism. For fintech, Scope 3 carbon emissions are an area where companies can make a significant impact on reaching sustainable goals. Oak North has been particularly focused on supporting sustainable growth within their own company, as well as providing tools to shed a light on others' impact on the environment. They form a part of many international consortiums campaigning to do the same. I spoke to Matt about the issues with ESGs, the power of Scope 3 emissions, and why fintech could be integral to meeting net zero targets. Sorry, I've got a coffee because um, I had a cold last week, which is nothing to write home about, but Tom will know that yesterday I came in and my voice was all over the place. Oh, really? So it has only just kind of started to get back to... Well, it is the coffee break. Uh, indeed, yes. So it would be uh, <coughs> food shopping on that one. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <coughs> okay. Hi, Matt. Nice to see you. Hi. Morning. Um, really happy to be here at the Oak North offices. Um, to begin with, I just want to know what gets you up in the morning? Uh, you, uh, aside from many alarms and vast amounts of, uh, of coffee. Um, <laughs> but uh, seriously, I think without being too cliched, uh, working in ESG and sustainability means you never really know what you're going to encounter from one day to the next. Uh, there's so many exciting innovations and inspirational people out there doing incredible things to achieve extraordinary positive outcomes. Uh, and it really is worth getting up for. Uh, I agree. I agree. And you guys are one of these people. Uh, what attracted to you to looking at the sustainable side of finance and to coming to Oak North? Yeah, so originally my background was in mainstream banking and finance, uh, and I first started looking at sustainability from an investor perspective. Um, And what became very apparent to me is that sustainability in any business had gone from being a nice-to-have to to a need-to-have, both in terms of growing stakeholder awareness and expectation on social and environmental matters, Uh, as well as huge generational challenges like climate change. Um, And banks really are uniquely placed in that their financing can influence a whole array of customers that they support, uh, covering multiple sectors and industries across the whole economy. Uh, And as for Oak North, uh, Oak North have a really refreshing level of ambition when it comes to sustainability and climate change, uh, because not only were they an organisation who already had a, a leading climate product within their credit intelligence software, but a real desire to have a a truly positive impact Mm -hmm. uh, and fast. And you can see that through things like our 2035 net zero target, which covers everything we do. And that's one of the punchiest targets of any bank out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really attracted me to Oak North um, before I joined. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, So when I first saw you, uh, it was at the Innovate Finance FinTech for Good Forum. And there you were talking about Scope 3 emissions. Um, to start off, can we just get a overview? What are Scope 3 emissions? How do they differ from other scopes? <coughs> yeah, sure. So Scope 1 emissions are those you might directly produce through burning fossil fuels. Uh, and unless you're a power company, for example, burning coal, for most companies, that's things like the petrol or diesel in your company cars, mm-hmm. for example. Um, scope two are indirect emissions from the purchase of energy, power and heating. Uh, so that's things like your electricity bills. 
Scope three, essentially, is everything else that you indirectly influence. Uh, and that might be emissions from your supply chain, from your waste and water use, the travel and commuting of your people, uh, the products and services you sell. Um, and particularly for, for financial services firms like us, uh, the emissions of those customers you finance through loans or investments, uh, which by, is by far the largest contributor to any bank's overall emissions. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very wide. Um, that must be really complicated. Why are they relevant to fintech, would you say? Yeah, I mean, fintechs generate scope three emissions like any other business. Um, though for us, we tend to have usually more straightforward supply chains than, say, a retail or a manufacturing business. Mm-hmm. Um, And those might be specific identifiable sources like server use or software, Mm -hmm. uh, which helps. Um, And like mainstream banks, our our largest source of emissions is likely to come through the products and services that we finance. Uh, So our loans or investments. Um, So so we see a lot of scope through there. And where fintechs, I think, have a particular role to play is their capabilities around data and analytics. Um, Scope 3 emissions are notoriously hard to track and to measure, especially if your counterparties are, say, small businesses or SMEs, where there really is a recognised absence of available information. Uh, So I think this is an area where fintech can really make a difference. Mm -hmm. Okay. And do you think that they could help reduce um, the scope three emissions then? Yeah, I, I mean, I think any financial institution has a much broader sphere of influence than just its own operations through the businesses and individuals that they finance. Uh, And with that comes a responsibility to try and help move things in the right direction. Uh, And what's particular about fintech is linked into that data and analytics capability. Better data gives you a better perspective on what action needs to be taken and where. Mm -hmm. Um, So if I think about Oak North Climate Software, for example, uh, we can take an extremely granular subsector view of any borrower. And on a forward-looking basis, we can model the potential impact on their creditworthiness from a climate Mm -hmm. point of view. And that could be carbon prices, it could be capex required to decarbonize, oil prices, policy change, so on and so forth, and specific to that particular industry and, and its own supply chain. Now, our banking clients can use that data themselves to get a really granular view of where their borrower climate exposures lie. Much greater efficiencies in assessing climate risk and where they need to take action, which ultimately, in turn, should start to drive emissions downward across their portfolio. Uh, so that's the sort of thing where I can see you know, the power of fintech to, to drive change, to drive decarbonisation, reduction of scope three emissions um, through the power of, of its capabilities. Mm-hmm. There seems to be kind of more of a shift towards doing this recently. Why, why is it happening now? Why should it happen now as opposed to kind of like in a few years? I, I can mm. imagine this requires a lot of... Uh, planning, a lot of development. It, it does. Um, I think to answer that, firstly, there's the net zero transitional argument that early action is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it isn't just about setting net zero targets for 10, 20, 30 years time. It's really well recognised now that the sooner we act, the more likely it is that hitting those targets, keeping warming to around only one and a half degrees remains realistic. Secondly, yes, regulation around carbon emissions is growing and at pace. Uh, regulatory frameworks like the TCFD, proposals by the SEC, the recently formed ISSB, because we all love an acronym in sustainability, (laughs) um, they've all begun to have requirements to disclose material scope three emissions. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even if you aren't caught by that regulation yet, inevitably it will apply to you at some point soon. So it really is best to be prepared now rather than 
scrambling around to find hard to obtain data when it becomes mandatory. Uh, and thirdly, you know, it's a huge opportunity for, for fintech to, to showcase its capabilities um, and to get ahead of the game in identifying customers and suppliers who are higher or lower risk or who need assistance in decarbonizing um, and to really stake a claim to financing some of those trillions of dollars of investment that, that's needed to transition to net zero over the next decade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is something that... Um a lot of people seem to be quite concerned about the cost of it and also the complexity, especially given the current economic climate. I mean, there's been, I've heard quite a lot of reports of people saying because of the climate, uh, the economic climate, it's not a viable option right now. Um, what do you say to this? Yeah, I, I mean, I get it. Um, but I also think we, we've got to be prepared to think longer term. And to not fall into the trap of short-sightedness or short-termism, uh, which really is easy to do in the current economic environment. I, I, I agree. Um, and with energy prices how they are and the fact that those are probably likely to stay elevated, the payback period of investing in more energy-efficient alternatives or decarbonizing your operations is, is rapidly diminishing. Um, uh, and that return on low-carbon investment is still really strong. Uh, and we see customers and consumers willing to pay a premium for genuinely sustainable options. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we were to consider, for example, if there had been large-scale investment, uh, and I mean large-scale investment in renewables 10 years ago, what might that have meant for our energy security and our energy pricing today? Do we really want to repeat the same mistake by limiting our foresight to alleviate short-term economic pain only to find ourselves in similar difficulties a few years from now because we didn't invest in decarbonising. So it's all interconnected. Um, And I think the last point I'll make on this is if businesses are finding they need assistance to fund decarbonising now, given the current financial challenges, then that's absolutely where all banks, not just fintechs, should be stepping up to offer support. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. You make very good points. Um, Within this whole ESG thing is greenwashing. I mean, there is a lot of um, people against ESGs purely due to the greenwashing aspect. Um, How does one steer away from greenwashing or even just errors because of how complex it is? Yeah, given the complexity of Yeah, yeah. I mean, transparency is key here. Um, Current approaches to carbon accounting, they're built on layers of assumptions, uh, best estimates, inferences, uh, and a lot of the methodologies, you know, they're open to interpretation or they simply have gaps in them right now. Um, you know, it's not a case that one size fits all. It's it's a known challenge, particularly with Scope 3, that, that a holistic, precise and standardised approach just doesn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really is imperative that you're open about how you've got about the task. Public confidence in sustainable claims relies upon being able to trust what they're being told. Uh, and for that reason, you have to be absolutely clear on the basis by which you've me- measured your impact uh, or concluded that one thing is actually greener than another. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your methodology? Where did you get your data? Are there any limitations to it? What have you had to assume or estimate? If so, how? Uh, and that's not to say that some methodologies aren't flawed and open to errors, because some are. But if you've openly told everyone your approach and where its shortcomings lie, then no one can accuse you of trying to mislead anyone. Um, and the other point here is on is on data quality. Um, as the saying goes, you, you get out what you put in. Uh, and if fintechs can lead the charge on enhancing or accessing better quality data sources, then that significantly reduces the chance of 
unwittingly holding something up as sustainable without really knowing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I've seen that Oak North are part of Tech Zero. Uh, tell me a bit about what the group does, uh, why you think it's important. Yeah, we became one of the first fintechs to join Tech Zero back in June 2021. Um, and it's, it's an action group for tech companies who are committed to fighting the cli- climate crisis. Uh, because collaboration is really important to drive innovation and progress on net zero. Um, and that's why we're regular and active participants in a number of industry initiatives like this. Um, so last year, for example, we joined GFANS, the, the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero, mm-hmm. uh, via the Net Zero Banking Alliance, um, uh, which also aligns us with the UN Race to Zero campaign. Um, and we're also members of Bankers for Net Zero, which is an initiative, an initiative that, that brings together banks, businesses, regulators, policymakers to enable banks to successfully support their clients and accelerate the transition to net zero, uh, as well as to deliver on the UK government's ambitions for addressing climate change. And these sorts of me- memberships also hold us to account uh, and drive progress by requiring us to measure and publish our full scopes of emissions set out net zero targets uh, and those who are accountable for achieving them and to regularly report back on progress that's being made against them, uh, which is really important in moving things forward. Yeah, it sounds like it would do a lot against the greenwashing stuff. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, What do you hope will be invented or achieved in the next 20 years? Um, (laughs) How long have we got? Uh, I mean, joking aside, there are still some big challenges out there Um, on the carbon front, concrete, steel, agriculture, effective ways to back up and store renewables so that we can finally enable phase out of fossil fuel power and heat. And there's some really innovative solutions being developed uh, to try and solve some of these problems. Um, uh, But also, uh, personally, I really hope we achieve some rapid restoration of biodiversity now that we've started to recognise and target that. Uh, I think for way too long, we've overlooked that critical role that the natural world has to play in restoring balance to the climate. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like peatlands, mangroves, seagrasses, they can all act as massive carbon sinks, Uh, not to mention the quality and enjoyment of our surroundings and the environment we live in, which I think is really important. Everybody thinks about kind of carbon emissions and numbers around CO2, but actually, you know, we've got an incredible world and environment around us that we that we need to look after and uh, and enjoy. Mm. No, absolutely. Um, I I would like to go into that a lot more, but um, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately, the podcast is a certain length of time. So I'm going to move on to what is your favourite quote and why? Um, well, I'm not sure if I call it my favourite. Okay. Uh, but the one that comes to mind is is the classic Peter Drucker quote that you can't improve what you can't measure. Mm-hmm. Um, and this comes up time and again in the context of carbon emissions for obvious reasons. And the reason I call it out is because we need to be careful not to lose sight of the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. The sentiment is right in that we need to effectively measure carbon emissions to identify where the need for action is greatest, to ensure we can demonstrate that we're making reductions. But can we really not start doing the right thing without that measurement? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're heating and powering a load of buildings using gas boilers and generators, for example, you know that switching them to more sustainable and energy efficient alternatives will make a big improvement to your carbon footprint. And you don't need to measure those emissions to know that. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess what I'm saying is, let's get on with it um, and not hold ourselves back by 
tying ourselves in knots around accounting methodologies and precision before acting on those positive steps that we could be taking right now uh, because we can and we should absolutely completely agree um before i let you go you have your curveball question <laughs> uh which i refuse to tell you before um it's a nice one though uh what book record and luxury item would you bring to a desert island all things necessary for survival are already there um just these kind of three luxury items that you would bring Crikey, i think that's three questions in one isn't it <laughs> rather sorry. <laughs> i was gonna go with the luxury item but uh this means that you can't choose a book or a record um a book a record or a luxury item crikey mm. so um I really ought to be very cliched and okay. uh, and and say you know a, a book would be uh, Bill Gates's How to Avoid a Climate Disaster would be a, nice. a really good book to bring okay. along for someone who's passionate about this sort of thing. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll leave that one out there from a from a literature perspective. Uh, record uh, for me, it would probably be Sultans of Swing by Dire Straits, um, nice which one. is yes. uh, something I can always relax to. And I think a desert island is a good place to relax if you're not worried about being stranded there. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, a luxury item. Um, uh, do you know what? I think on a desert island, despite there being uh, being a beach, um, I, I'd still want an armchair. An armchair. That's a great one. I know that makes me sound uh, a lot older than my years, but um, uh, I'm afraid I'm not much of a liar down on beaches. I'd rather sit and read said book. Yes. Um, and uh, I think that counts as a luxury item. Yes, definitely. I would. That's a really unique one as well. I like that. Um, how can people get a hold of you or follow or get hold of Oak North in general? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we. Uh, you can find... Me, uh, uh, through usual sort of social media channels and the, and the like. Um, Oak North, uh, please do have a look at our website. Uh, please do have a look at our kind of blog posts. Um, uh, there are some from me on there as well. Okay. Uh, and uh, if you look on there, you can absolutely reach out to us in terms of finding what we're doing in this space. And of course, being a bank, uh, how we can help finance this sort of thing if you are uh, looking at decarbonizing your business. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed our conversation. And Likewise. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks as well. As always, you can reach out and chat with me on my personal LinkedIn or Twitter at Izzy Castro Writes. That's spelled I-Z-Y. But for access to great daily content, check out Fintech Nexus on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also sign up for our daily newsletter, bringing news straight to your inbox. For more fintech podcast fun, check out the website where you can find more fascinating conversations hosted by Peter Renton and Todd Anderson. That's it from me. Until next time, enjoy your downtime.